Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. I have another fantastic day planned for you. Excuse me, uh, now we have, we've been talking about hope so far this week. That is the plan right now. And uh, yesterday we ended up on kind of building a tribe, how to create a team or being a part of something and how that is played into hope. Now, uh, before we get too deep in the conversation, I do wanna say, John, Chad, Clay, Always good to see you. Good to have you on here. And if anybody watching has any thoughts, comments, or questions, by all means, put them up in the comment section. Anything off the top of your guys' heads before we dive in? Looking forward good? to it. Okay. Uh, so I was doing some research on this, and I came up with a couple of quotes, but there were a few, and I, I was reading some stuff, and I got it. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole and started reading the, uh, started reading the, uh, the speech from... Uh, Winston Churchill about the bombings because of uh, James All had right. mentioned it yesterday and stuff. And I was, I was like, you know what? That's just, it's too far. So I went with this. There's an, an old quote, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. There's songs and stuff about it. But then I heard, I read something else that was kind of linked it up and it said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, which I thought was really neat too, in terms of you kind of have to stand together. If you're, you can say you're together, they can be on the fence and be like, yeah, cool, I'm, I'm aligned with this thing. But unless you actually do anything, you know, it still aligns with actions like we were talking about earlier. So I'm gonna leave it to you guys for a little bit and I just wanna figure out what you guys think of when you hear the term, together we stand, what does it mean to you? John, I'm gonna come to you first. What do you think? Sorry, just before we oh, jump before into it. anyone, is it possible for you to remember where uh, you saw that quote, uh, if you don't stand for anything you'll fall for everything do you recall I, if you can find that out uh, i will look it up. mention it and yeah thanks i will look it up as we continue the uh discussion for sure awesome so john what are your first thoughts together we stand yeah uh first of all what's going on boys good to see everybody uh this is a definitely a bit of a tough one i think to get started with yeah uh what immediately comes to mind for me is uh, i think what we all innately need from the time we're born right uh, to belong to something. Uh, uh, all of us from the time we're born have an innate need to belong to something, to believe in something, and to strive for something. Uh, to, so at first pass, without getting into the weeds too much and uh, passing it over to, to the other gentleman on the call, to me it really speaks to a sense of belonging. Uh, mm -hmm. Belonging to something that may hopefully be aligned with my values or, you know, in the case of, of living in the United States, um, this idea that I take very seriously and hold very dear to my heart because of the men and women that I work with, you know, um, <clears throat> um, standing with in solidarity of uh, those that still very strongly believe in uh, the country and all of the amazingly beautiful things that it stands for. But to me, at a very basic level, it's this, this innate human need to belong to something. Interesting. Um, Clay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, it, it's something that if, if you've been in the military, uh, you hear quite a bit, but it's to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, and, and John kind of hit it with that belongingness, but it's belonging to something that is bigger than you, um, that you can stand for, if, if you will, that can motivate you to strive for more outside of yourself. I think when you have teammates or you have the person to your left and to your right, uh, everybody probably remembers that moment in Black Hawk Down where the guy says, you know, I don't, I don't do it for, you know, this or that. I do it for the men to my left and to my right. That, that belongingness that helps you reach for something more than you uh, could conceptualize on your own um, to me is what, uh, standing for something or fall for everything kind of gets to the heart of in some sense. Yeah, absolutely. Chad thoughts. Yeah. I mean, both men, uh, you know, obviously hit it, you know, nail on head there, but I, I think it's, it's, you know, something that we always long for, you know, you hear the word try or we use, you use the term collective here, right? As we all stand for something, we all are in agreements or, 
we we like something that someone else is presenting and, and therefore here we are as a collective or a tribe of, of a group of people that we feel hold those same values or those those same morals that you know that we hold near and dear to ourselves and that begins to grow larger whether it's a you know you've got tribes and collectives in you know jiu-jitsu guys right like you guys are very strong in that group then you've got crossfit people then you've got your yogis right so everybody has a, a group that they that they mirror or that you know resonates with them and whether it's you you know yogis and crossfitters i think if they the commonality is you know they've got things that bring them all together that they all stand together and again you I think it just comes down to morals and values and how you hold yourself. And that's where you're going to find your, your tribe and the people that you resonate with. Yeah. hundred percent. Sean, any thoughts? This is going to be a really interesting conversation mm -hmm. because I think that there's like about 4,000 hours worth of stuff we could talk about on the subject, but we've only got an hour, but I'm, I'm super stoked for where it goes. Cause it can go in so many directions. So my first thought was this based on, and that's why I asked you to try to find that quote. If yeah. you don't stand for something, then you will fall for anything almost, or fall for everything. Um, and I think that together we stand needs to start at a very yeah. fundamental level of knowing who you are and what you stand for before you go and try to stand with something else. And let's say you don't have the luxury of that. Let's say due to the circumstances of the moment, maybe due to the tempo of the world, as it were, uh, you just find yourself standing next to someone else who you don't even know. And more importantly, you don't even know yourself. And so now you're standing next to someone and it's that moment where you get to decide what you stand for with another person. So I think it kind of starts at figure yourself out. And once you kind of are a little better at that, when you're standing next to people, figure out who you are in context of the person you're standing next to. And if that's the right group for you or not, because you can't just go and stand in every single group and think that you belong in that group. Uh, and I'm not talking about you deserve to be in that group. I'm just talking about you just don't belong in it. And here's why. Because you could be a large distraction. You could be almost burdensome to some degree. And, and you know, like, Sean, why did you say that? That's so mean. It's because people don't say it. I mean, not everyone belongs in every group throughout the entire world. If what are groups? Groups are designed to create familiarity with uh, similar thought processes in order for the group to, you know, if we go back a, a long time ago, it was to survive. It was a survival mechanism, but we don't have that survival need per se so much, certainly not here in North America in a, in a first world uh, situation. And so I think uh, together we stand started off as something a long time ago. And now the sense of why we stand together is kind of diluted and not diluted, but diluted. And maybe it is a bit diluted as well, uh, depending on who you're talking to, because I feel that not enough people have a clear understanding of what they individually stand for. They're keen to jump into a group of, this is what we stand for. And they're really not sure on why they're in that group from time to time. That's my first thought. Those are some excellent thoughts. And uh, I did a little research while you were talking. The first attribution for it is from Gordon A. Eady. And Chris K. brought it up. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Okay. It's also attributed to Alexander Hamilton. Those who stand for nothing fall for everything, um, as well as a few other places. And it's, it's fantastic. really interesting that you took this realm because I think it's a, uh, it's a key proponent of standing. And you actually see this in the movie 300 when um, I can't remember the name of the hunchback that comes in and tries to be a part of the group, uh -huh. like just physically can't do it. Uh, are there any other, got any additional thoughts based on the rest of the conversation, John? Uh, I, I think that, well, as you guys know, I always, always have thoughts about these conversations, but uh, where, where Sean went, I think is, uh, really, really important uh, for those listening and even for, for us as we jump on here to try to grow and get better. 
uh, every time we get on these calls, th this sense of uh, living in a way that's aligned with our values, uh, I think is so, um, so underestimated by people today. Most people, uh, and I, I have great luxury to work with clients uh, from all different walks of life, primarily warfighters, but I see clients from all different walks of life. And one of the first places we start is uh, with vision and values. And to Sean's point, nine out of 10 new clients that I work with have never been exposed in any way uh, to individual values work, right? We adopt the values oftentimes of, especially as children, oftentimes of <clears throat> our, our families and how we're raised. And as we get older and we make our way into groups, uh, whether we assimilate into those groups with intention, i.e., you know, raise my right hand and join the military, or we assimilate into those groups based on a need for survival, as Sean mentioned, a lot of times the, the values and the vision of those groups are already established, right? And so we, we learn to ingratiate ourselves with those groups, never really forming uh, an identity or a value system that is our own. Uh, and we see it a lot uh, across a lot of different platforms today in society, which I know we don't get into on, on these calls, which is great because I think it will hinder our growth uh, as individuals in so many ways. Uh, but we see it all over the place. And, and a lot of it stems from uh, the individual not really being rooted in what matters most to them, sort of our non-negotiables in life, our no matter what's. Uh, as a baseline by which we make decisions uh, for how we move and who we move with. So uh, I thought what Sean brought up is, is super powerful, not where I expected a conversation on together we stand to go. But what I've learned about Sean is that is often the case, and I love it. So uh, I'm ready for the ride. That's all I got for now. Well, if you don't mind, I, I, I'm just well, want to jump in. it doesn't matter if we mind anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll enjoy. You you, you'll enjoy what I've got to say, I think. <laughs> Uh, so the only reason I managed to be able to cobble out a, that minor little bit of uh, observational thought is based on the panel. So I'm looking at you three guys as guests, and you're all fine representations of the United States. So I want to make a comparison between the United States and Canada now. The United States, believe it or not, stands together better than Canada does. Now, I know there's lots of divisiveness and et cetera, et cetera, but at least the United States is built on the idea that we stand together, like initially, everyone's, you know, you hear it in school, you hear it in, you, it's, it's culturally weaved throughout every American's life, that we stand together as a nation. But that isn't the case up here in Canada. That is not at all the messaging. That is not at all the culture. It doesn't matter which country is more divided between Canada and the United States. It doesn't matter anything about this or anything about that. What I can easily say is the United States is, is far more aware of what it means to stand together because it is a, it is a pretty regular conversation. Even if it's not standing together, it's still being talked about on how it's imperative as a nation, we stand together. We don't get that messaging up here in Canada. In fact, we almost get the, the complete opposite. Uh, it's, so, it's so desperately missing, I feel, up here in Canada. But you all are doing a far better job down in the United States. You are raised in the idea. And, and it was what Clay said. He mentioned, you know, for, for, you know, the country. So I started off talking about, as an individual, but already thinking about how well the three guest panels know this better than I do, the importance of standing together as a small group or as a nation. It's all the same thing. It's just that the messaging in the United States is far clearer on the importance of standing together, whether it does or not is immaterial. At least the messaging is there. It's an interesting thought. Uh, I just want to hit on a couple of these uh, comments just so I don't want to leave until the end, but Winterstorm, good morning, Chris, morning, and Winter and Cody, Salty, afternoon, Cody, morning, y'all, everybody. Uh, and then Cody jumps in at the last minute with live for nothing, die for something. It's another great, great little point there as well. Um, Clay, what are your thoughts on anything that's gone over so far? 
Yeah, it, it may be somewhat controversial, uh, but you know, I think I think to Sean's first point, where he uh, he kind of took it somewhere I wasn't expecting to, um, but I like it because I think that when we can choose who we stand for and what we stand for, that's a luxury, right? I think here in the United States. Um, you know, with 9-11 just having had happened, that was like a reminder of standing together and not with just your group, right? So I imagine, you know, if I was in Morocco right now and we were two different villages or two different groups and, you know, up until the earthquake, we were feuding, we disliked each other, but in the face of tragedy, guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. You don't care about this. You don't care about that. You care about the the humanity of the person next to you of losing home. So to me, kind of to Sean's point, you know, down here in the U.S., I think there for a long time we really lost sight of that, and and maybe we are now a little bit as well with the divisiveness. But nine eleven kind of reminded us of like, hey, you know, this is all one country, one group, one uh, unit, if you will. Um, so those were uh, kind of where my thoughts took me when Sean was Interesting. Talking. Chad, what are your thoughts? You know, I mean, so many different thoughts, I guess you'd say. I mean, for me, it, it, it took a while to really kind of find, you know, my group. You know, I was always, I wouldn't say a lone wolf, but always kind of a lone sheep, right? A black sheep of the family. I kind of did things my own way. I wasn't really dialed in so much in sports, you know, I was more of the socialite kind of the kid. Then I get in the military and kind of find my niche there and then come out of the military and, you know, and then I'm hanging out with wrong crowds and drinking too much and popping pain pills because the back's blowing up, right? So not until probably the last two or three years have I found more of a niche or more of a, of, of a group of people that, you know, I can be myself and, and kind of grow through there. So I think it takes time too to really kind of find out like, who are those people? Who are those niches? Who are those groups that you want to hang out with and, and you know, stand together? But like Clay said, I, I, you know, to give that reminder of 9-11, I mean, I don't think there was a more powerful time in recent history where you saw Americans truly come together um, to, to stand for something. Um, so I think it's reminders like that to let us know that we're, you know, we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, what do we stand for and what are we standing against? Sean, you got anything else? You're muted, buddy. The sad part for me is, and I'd be curious to see how you guys feel about it, because it's going to be a bit contentious. So um, you're right. You know, um, this this month, September 11th, is a stark reminder for everyone to start working together better, realizing what we are as human beings just trying to support each other it's it's a great reminder but go back 20 odd years go back to 20 years ago and september 11th well the reminder of how important it is to be a cohesive organism lasted several months and then it kind of started trickling off and and then everyone kind of forgot about the moment until the following september where it then lasted a month. And then the following September, it lasted three weeks, then two weeks, then one week, then two days. And now here we are, it's, it's like a TikTok moment where it's a flash for a day, everyone jumps on board, rah, rah, sis, boom, boss. And then the following day, maybe in an, an effort to say, look how we all kind of banded together for 10 minutes on September 11th, just yesterday. Go team. Well, next year, it'll last two minutes, and then it'll be one minute, then it'll be 10 seconds. And the only way that these kind of things can remain as important reminders is by talking about them like we are right now. And the importance of not just the act of remembering the moment, but remembering why we're remembering the moment to band together. Sometimes I think that the messaging is all about the moment rather than the monumental gathering of a continent to act together. 
it becomes about the two towers, which, I mean, look, what can I say? I, I, I can't say anything right in this moment if I say much more about the moment is just about two towers rather than, and that's the imagery that is pushed out constantly, the, just the two towers, the, the plane crashing into one of the towers. That conversation is the conversation for that day. But it's, it's not about that. And I, please, for the love of all things good, nobody misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm saying that the towers was the occasion. The moment after the occasion is the importance of considering what we're going to do about it. And that moment was 20 odd years ago. But today we're not thinking about what we're going to do about it as a continent to come together. We're still thinking about a reactive go get the bad guys, rather than how can we save some more good guys? How can we, how can we come together as a country and become a better country for it? Oh, I'm going to get heat for this, but that's just a thought. I think you're on the money there, Sean. And actually, Cody jumps in here with a comment. He says that's similar to what you guys were saying before about Remembrance Day. And I think you're is absolutely right in the fact that it became the poppy became the cenotaph became the the act or the the thought rather than the act it becomes the imagery not the conversation the imagery exactly, is yeah. that is what people talk about not the men or women not the the bonding not the brotherhood not the love for your fellow man not how to get together as a as a more effective and and caring continent yeah well and i think that this week is all about hope and it's actually the reason why I selected hope. Well, part of the reason why I selected hope, <laughs> we had that conversation on the first day, but um, in the fact that it was September 11th when the week started to get this conversation started. And we talked about hope. That's why I wanted to get into this concept of being together, but it is also an individual thing. So um, I'm going to come back to you, John, here in a second. I just had this thought. It seems like tragedy initiates our falling back on larger larger groups basically so like if there's a, a small tragedy within a family you'll fall back within your family group but if there is a larger tragedy on a larger scale you fall back onto that group say like boston strong and then you're talking about you know september 11th which then you fall back on the it's a massive tragedy so you fall back on the group of being united as a nation but it it also seems similar to like fine motor skills being lost at high stress points and that you fall back on gross motor skills. So I'm wondering what your guys' thoughts are on lines of that in terms of, do you think it is a reaction, like a stress reaction to fall back into that larger group, to be together as a group rather than um, falling into the smaller groups that we all separate into after time? John, what do you think? I think it's an unbelievably powerful question. Um, I don't even view it as uh, react or response. Given all of the uh, historical moments that we could all reference that have brought our country and countries together, uh, specifically 9-11, which we remember this week. You also talked about if there's a tragedy within a family, right? How the family, even despite differences, you hear all the time about how tragic events have reunited the family. Clay referenced the earthquakes in Morocco. I know in, in my work with adolescents early in my career, one of the things that always brought the community together is when we lost a child. Um, and so what this conversation is really beautifully reminding of is maybe that's just the right thing to do is to stand together. And uh, maybe it isn't on the heels of tragedies either in our own homes or backyards or across the country uh, <clears throat> that we should need as the precipice for getting together, uh, but at a very individual level, right? At a very individual level, we seem to live in a world now where we are very quick to point out or to look for what separates us instead of what unites us. I believe that people are inherently good. 
I believe that. Some people say it's naivety. I don't believe it is. I believe people, most people, are inherently good. And so as an individual, I feel like I have a responsibility to find out what my commonalities might be with those people before I look for the things that I might not like so much. And not every person that I'm going to connect with will I develop a relationship with like I have with Clay over the years or other people I consider my brothers and sisters. But I can certainly find the good in them uh, if I'm going to extend the effort to find the things in them that bother me. My choice is to extend the effort to find the things in them that I can accept or learn from or grow with. And that's, that's on a micro scale. That's on an individual level. But Chance, as you and Sean both talked about tragedies and 9-11 specifically, or tragedies even in our own homes, what you guys made me think about is, man, they're so right. It's through the face of these tragedies that we ignore. We could care less about the things that we don't agree with in these other groups. None of it matters. What matters is we get side by side with these men and women and we begin to do, do the job of rebuilding. And not just rebuilding physically, but rebuilding our spirits, our hearts, our minds. And what a responsibility that we have and an honor that we have as individuals maybe to try to do that on our own level. When we engage with people, let's not think about why we are better or superior or greater than, or let's not look for what's different about them before we begin to look at what might unite us and bring us together. Absolutely. Chad, any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I have kind of an aha moment when Sean was talking about some stuff, but, you know, kind of, I guess, goes back to taking a stand and, and you know, for me it was it's mental health, right? Cause I had my own struggles with it. And so mental Joe, right. We want to, we want to bring more light to this stuff. Uh, right now, September is suicide awareness month, right? You have May, which is mental health awareness month. And for me, the 22 push-ups a day to bring awareness to veteran suicides literally drove me up the wall. Cause I'm like, there's, there's no, there's no end result here. What are you doing with 22 push-ups? You're not solving anything. You're bringing awareness to maybe one friend that gives you a like on your social media and you move on. So for me, taking the stand with mental health and owning my stuff and realizing that by me being vulnerable, the community that we're creating is just starting to grow to a point where people are standing together saying, okay, enough of the 22 push-ups, enough of this. There are other solutions out there, though there are stigmas tied to these solutions we're willing to be open to it because we're seeing these testimonials of veterans and first responders coming together saying, I need these helps and they might not be of non-traditional methods, but we are standing together realizing this, this I call it a pandemic of, of, of suicides and, and mental health. Again, it's the new stat is anywhere from 22 to 44 a day, right? That's just the US. We're not talking first responders. We're not talking average Joes. We're not we're not even putting Canadian numbers in there. We're not putting European numbers in there. So we're 50 to 60,000 people a year in America that are killing themselves. So my stand is for mental health, right? And by standing and being vulnerable and being able to talk about these things and saying, you know, I don't really agree with this whole 22 push-up things. And I know I'm going to catch slack for calling people out on it. But at the end result, like, where are we going with this? I'm standing so we all have a better you know, hopefully outlook about this stuff so we can own our stuff. So again, at the end of the day, we'll be better humans and see the good in others as opposed to the bad. Absolutely. Uh, Clay, thoughts? Yeah, a ton of them. <laughs> uh, Sean, I don't, I don't think, you know, or I should say, I agree with your sentiment on 9-11 being uh, mostly about the moment. And then I, I also agree um, with Johnny on, you know, being mostly optimistic and then with mental Joe as well, uh, Chad, that in finding the good, because if you take those three things, everyone just said, you know, the, the thing now having had some distance from the actual event of nine 11, that I think it symbolizes 
uh, if you want to look at it, is the collective uh, unconscious. So what 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 is the collective unconscious? If you looked at planet Earth and humanity as a whole, as one single person or unit, it would be that in the moment of something as tragic like that, that happens, out of all of that evil, out of all of that hate that, that was trying to be forced upon an entire people, the state, the nation doesn't matter, just hate being forced on people. The result of that was beauty, was good, right? Now, people lost their lives, but now, what is it? It's, it's a remembrance. It's looking back and saying, out of all of this hate, what do we do? We come together. We find the good. So I think I'm optimistic in that way that the collective conscience of humanity, when tragedy happens or when your small community loses someone, I think it's a natural instinct to want to see that there is something out of this that we can all take from to be better, to be better as human beings. And maybe that's, you know, uh, naivety, like, like, like Johnny said, but it, I think it's as natural as, you know, wanting to make your parents proud or to love your children um, is seeing that, that in the face of tragedy, you know, there is something that can be taken from it that benefits uh, those of us that are still here. John, any thoughts on all of that? Sorry, I heard John. Did you say John Sorry, or Sean? I said I said Sean. Yeah, I think. Okay, I, I was all confused. Johnny's going to say something smarter than Sean, but Sean's on the screen, so. No, Sean, uh, Sean go ahead, my brother. I'm, I'm still. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm still like this. This conversation uh, so powerful. It's so productive. Uh, in so many ways, I, I'm. I just need to digest a bunch more of it first. So, Sean, all you, my man. Well, I'm digesting in real time. What I was thinking was uh, what Clay had mentioned when he was talking about uh, two villages in Morocco, how, you know, he proposed as a thought experiment, not as a reality, we'll say, but two yes. villages perhaps feuding. And uh, through the uh, event of a disaster, a crisis, a problem, those two villages perhaps would bond together or, or work together as a combined together we stand moment. But then after the fact, once everything's rebuilt, you know what ends up happening? Now they're back to feuding because the village that got built is now better or whatever. Now it's a case of someone has something and the other person doesn't have that something. And it's that, um, that unfairness, we'll call it, or that uh, where's mine? He's got his, where is mine? That what will sometimes me? drive us apart. What about me? I just helped you. Now what's in it for me? And I think there's so many things that we could tease out about the reciprocity of of, of, of uh, kindness and so on and so forth. But uh, what Clay said when he was talking about the feuding villages made me consider how each member in each village is they're they're standing together as a village, perhaps or not. Like even in those separate villages. It doesn't mean that the village is properly aligned. The village could be doing better. This village could be doing better. If this village gets impacted by a disaster, well, it's, it's like the world. I mean, as a world, we're doing some things well and some things we aren't doing well. But when the world has a problem, we band together. But why is it that it's the problem that pulls us together? Why can't, you know, a, a village in Morocco might go and show love to the village across the valley that they were hating on for a while. But the moment that the little checkbox is done, the hate gets back in place. Why can't we as humans just pursue forward and, and enjoy the fact that we were kind to someone and then keep on pushing the kindness, as it were, rather than looking around the corner for the angle, looking for what's coming at me next? Uh, what will they want, given that I was just kind? Uh, it's, it's almost like as a species, we have a defensive posture in place where, and I'm not saying everyone, this is a generalization, 
but we have a defensive posture where we do something for someone and then our next move is, well, what's in it for me? Or what are they going to do next? Or what's this all about? It's almost like a competitive game where you can't play it for fun. You're playing it for win, as it were. What do you guys think about that? Interesting. Chad, I'm going to come to you first. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to make it real simple. I think it comes back to environments that we're raised in. You know, those protocols are set up probably at a very young age of what's in it for me. You know, um, I've always kind of led with my my heart on the sleeve and always, you know, if someone needs help, like if there's someone in my network that aligns with someone that needs it, I do it unselfishly, make the introduction, help out where I can get get the hell out of the way. Right. Let, let them go about their business. Um, but I get burnt on that, too. But I also realize, OK, that that individual is not part of the wheelhouse I want to be in. And though I, I led with with the heart on my sleeve and gave everything I could, it wasn't reciprocated. That's okay. That means there's something else going on in their life that whatever, I'm, I'm not going to judge on it. I'm going to continue to move forward and, and, and keep about it myself. But I think, I think a lot of that happens in, you know, in, in how we're raised and in, in the, the tribes or the collectives that we grow up in and those expectations of oh, I did you something now I need something. You know, I, I think it's, it's learned at a very young age and we sadly kind of carry that through through life until we get out of our own way and realize like you don't you don't need to lead that way if that makes sense yeah absolutely clay you got any thoughts yeah funny enough uh my my dad always says it's always something it's always something he's a mechanic so take take that for what it is um but why why does it seem Mike, the problem always pulls it out and this was Sean's question and that's that's a great question and I think to me it's because there always is going to be one there's always going to be darkness there's always going to be evil there's always going to be someone trying to get over on someone else it's just always going to be that way and that's why it pulls out of us when it happens this goodness, if you're optimistic, right? Because there are there are people who rule in in you know people failing and, and those things. But the problem or the tragedy it pulls out the goodness in us is because we all know that it's just around the corner for all of us. And if you don't find good in humanity and in other people in those moments, it's gonna be a difficult, difficult life to live. It just, it just is. It's, it's just uh, the problem, evil, hate. It's gonna be there, and it's, it's how do we manage that, you know, um, and live good lives if, if that's your goal. Yeah, absolutely. John, thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think speaking directly to. To Sean's question, why does it seem to be the problem that that pulls uh, the goodness out of people? Uh, I could echo a lot of what uh, all all of the gentlemen have said, but I think one of the reasons that it that it pulls us out and wakes us up is that as human beings, we are selfish by nature, and um, it's not a bad word. It's just a it's it's just a fact. And that, uh, that selfishness, uh, that is very linked to survival, uh, as far back as we can go, um, that keeps us in a place, uh, where we're not paying attention in many cases to what is going on around us. These are other people's problems, other people's issues, other people's things to deal with. Uh, but when we feel like something, wow. This really could affect my way of life or our way of life. Uh, it's a powerful wake up for us that um, if we don't stand for something, we will indeed uh, fall for anything. And so for me, it's, it's this reminder that uh, even those of us, I think all of us on this call who genuinely uh, have a passion and affinity for trying to help others, I would imagine even in our own lives, at least I know for mine, uh, it's very easy to get selfish and to fall back into old patterns of behavior and old ways of thinking. And until that 
And that that's even coming from people, you know, the four of us who really work to improve and to change the human condition, but we are still guilty of it. Um, and so sometimes it takes these events to knock us out of that selfish place and to say, wait a minute, I am part of a much, much bigger entity here. And something like 9-11 or Boston Strong, where my best friend in the world was four minutes from the finish line when those bombs went off. All of a sudden, I couldn't get to Boston fast enough to help, right? But if that marathon was not 70 miles from where I lived, it was across the country and I knew no one, it, it would be tragic and it would be disturbing and it would make me angry. Uh, but my response wouldn't probably have been as visceral. Um, and so I think it's a large part of this is because we're selfish and we get stuck in the, maybe stuck isn't the right word, but we just get into our own ops tempo of day-to-day -day living and taking care of ourselves and those around us. And we work under the sort of assumption that everything else is going to take care of itself until it doesn't. And then we realize just how fragile we are in this entire ecosystem. And then if we want things to change, then we can do a better job at a micro level of being part of that change. Absolutely. Sean, any thoughts? Yeah, so many. <clears throat> I'll just say this, that um, what I'm hearing is uh, a great example of understanding, as John just said, the relative ease uh, to help someone. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, Johnny only helps people if it's easy and if it's a little hard, then forget about it. I ain't helping you. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is he's making a distinction between what's easy and what's hard. And hard isn't just like a thought. Hard is also based on resources, time and money. And so Johnny might be across the country from Boston and will execute a flight across the country to go and help out as best as he can if he has the resources, if he has the time available, and if he has the money available. But without resources, it's hard to be an international globe hopper superhero. It just is. And so then if you don't have the resources to be able to go and help when the feeling strikes you that you want to help someone based on the circumstances at hand, well, figure out a way to help locally where you don't need to um, deploy a lot of resources. As part of the resource equation, you've still got your time and you can hand out your time accordingly, charitably, correctly, righteously. Uh, protect your time, use it wisely, of course, but do good with it. And so you don't need a lot of money to do that. You can do it in your spare time if you want. And what do I mean by uh, deploy some time to help your small community. Uh, even if it's volunteering, it's still, you're standing with a group in your local community or in your province or state, as it were, uh, whatever region of the world you live in. So resources, if you have them, no matter how small or how large, it's, it's for you to decide the importance of the moment and what you can deploy against that moment. When 911 happened, um, you know, not everyone had the ability to immediately transport or beam to the location and start helping. And if, if a person across the country had almost no resources to deploy against that moment, well, whatever time they had, maybe it was 10 or 15 minutes in their little town in the middle of nowhere, they were like knitting things for people. They were collecting groceries to send. They were doing things that made them feel like they were in the game helping. And I think that's critical, man. Like you don't have to solve all of the world's problems. You've just got to get to work on the problems with whatever resources you've got. And that's what brings people together in a way. If I see someone who's got very little resources, but they're, they're in the game of trying to make a difference. I got all the time in the world for them. If I see someone with a lot of resources and no time to give 
to humanity to help? They ain't my cup of tea, man. I ain't standing next to them. So that's the, that's the first thing that came to mind. The second thing is, is a bit of a different conversation, if you don't mind. It's standing together with a group and feeling like you belong in that group and feeling like the group is doing righteous stuff. You're, you're making a change for mankind. That's fantastic. But don't just stand in that one group. Go stand in some other groups as well. And here's why. I feel, this is my opinion, I could be way off base, but I feel for Sean... I work best when I'm in a Venn diagram. So I'm involved in various together we stand groups so that I better understand how to stand in the middle of that Venn diagram based on the influences all around me that I'm part of so that I can better understand how I serve all of them by serving all of them. They all teach me what Sean can do for each group. And as each group teaches me how I can stand better with them, it helps me form my own sense of, if I was going to do a together we stand group, what would I want? What would, how would I run it? How would I deploy my resources? What kind of difference would I like to make in the world? These are thoughts that you should have out there if you're listening. But I'm, I'm not suggesting that we all put on our super imagination hats and think we're the ruler of the universe. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is think about something bigger than you've ever thought about before. What you can bring to bear in your dreamy, dream world of making the planet better. Come up with the idea and then start looking around your Venn diagram of the groups that you're in and pulling down on some resources in those various groups to see if there's any merit to your idea on how to get people to stand together in a group that you think is important. By forming groups, by standing together, even in tiny little isolated satellite groups, eventually it all connects as long as the spirit is right. As long as you're being cool about what you're doing, cool collects cool. It connects with cool. And we just don't have enough freaking coolness in the world right now. I think that's a great point. The uh, it reminds me a lot of the the propaganda artwork from World War II, actually, because most of it was stand together. We're all we all have our jobs to do. Everybody do your part. And it was always about the not the non flashy jobs, right? There was always a picture of the infantier, and then there was a guy in the factory. You know, it was the uh, the lady with the sleeve rolled up. There, there was all these imageries that were designed to be about understanding that every job mattered, that every little bit mattered. I think is the the key point of those imagery. So it is, but the messaging yeah. matters. It's it's true. what what the messaging is messaging. And so, uh, almost exactly a year ago, I was standing in the museum in Cannes, in France. Uh, right next to the D-Day invasion spot. Whereas I walk through that massive museum, which by the way, if you ever get the opportunity, you need to spend like a full day in there. Um, as I was walking around looking at the imagery, the Nazi propaganda that was being put out, depending on how you look at it, you can easily nod your head and think, oh yeah, that makes sense. I see where this is going. Yeah, totally, I'm buying into that. Because the population was being controlled to some degree through propaganda. And unless you really sit back every once in a while and think, am I in the right group? Who am I standing with right now? What does this mean to me? Not what does this mean to the group? You've got to do reality checks on yourself. Once you step into a group, you can't enter into full blown mind hive. You cannot become the group. You are a part of the group that has a responsibility to kind of reality check the group as it were. And if you feel that you're in a group and you don't have a voice, if you feel like you can't say, whoa, 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 this is getting a little crazy. Now we're talking about doing what? If you, if, if you feel that you can't say that, well, you're in the wrong group. So if whatever group you're in, if something's going a little astray, it is your responsibility to speak up. And if that means that's the last day you're in that group, so be it. You always got to do the right thing. Yeah, hundred percent. John, you got any thoughts? Uh, 
we're going deep today. (laughs) Um, I just, you know. Do you want a second? Yeah. All right. Clay, you got some thoughts? Yeah, I've, I've known Johnny for a long time, and he's never been speechless before in his life. So <laughs> this is like this is, this is magic moment. Right record here. this, We're brother. I'm this, working to level my comments. That's the clip. <laughs> there's there's comments. the clip right there. Ninety second clip. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Appreciate you. No. I love you, man. Yeah. Standing back at you, brother. No. So, Sean, when I when I listened to Sean, it it immediately gave me like that light bulb of like what so so when he brought the venn diagram and and someone being able to you know go from group to group to group that's leadership like not everyone can do that not not everyone can be a part of this group and then go to this group and go to this group and that's why i think like the time is now for that that what would you call it the mindful operator the the tier 1 leadership that's why people want that so badly and and it doesn't even have to be tier one right it's even veterans that can lead like the call to action is like right now is that time to be the leaders in the communities right when when we have these problems some someone like sean doesn't see the problems not speaking for you sean but you just you give me that that uh vibe that you don't see problems you see something to go uh, accomplish and and that that mindset is much needed and sought after i think just in general like in the world and the time to be that leader for veterans for for humanity it's kind of like right now right i mean i hate to be you know um you know not, i'm not speaking hyperbole but it's a sought after thing and and Sean exudes it and and other people want that and they want to be that. And when I hear you talk about, you know, these tragedies happen or this happens and it's like, hey, allocate your resources. Um, You know, if you don't have this, then you need to go accomplish that. If if you have trouble over here, figure out how to help out over here. That is not common. That is not a common thing that people end towards now. The thought process is there, that the process is there, but it's not a common thing that people will just snap to and say, oh, you know what? You're right. I don't have these resources because a lot of people, they just give up immediately. They just give up. Oh, I don't have the resources. That's it. I guess I can't do anything. But that that leadership mindset that don't see the problems, see solutions mindset is what I think this conversation kind of is getting towards or is getting at in some sense. Yeah. Yeah. Chad, or actually, John, I'll come back to you. You got uh, some crystal yeah, thoughts? I, I think uh, both Sean, Clay, Chad, everybody, I think what we're all sharing in different ways, there's a huge difference between uh, being able to make connections and make change uh at any level that works for us sean illustrated some some great examples you know on on the day of the marathon boston marathon bombings as an example i was able to get to boston right and then realized when i got to boston that the entire city was shut down i wasn't getting in anywhere near uh where my friend was right nowhere near where my friend was or his family was so my my immediate thought was, okay, what can I do from here? How can I help, right? But I think even at a smaller level, an individual level, and this is why perspective is so powerful. Well, maybe I can't be somebody who uh, is triaging the wounded on that day or is providing uh, real-time trauma support. But you know what I can do? Maybe I can walk across the street to the same 85-year-old neighbor that I see every single day who's mourning the loss of his wife, and he sits on his front porch every single day by himself, staring at the ground while he drinks his coffee because who he had in his life for 65 years is gone. And I've been so wrapped up in my own world, in my own life, in my own tempo that maybe the change I can make on that day is simply walking across the street and saying, 
hey, could I join you for your coffee? And the problem I think we have as people is that we think in terms of if I am not on this pedestal and I'm, and I'm not making these unbelievable moves towards changing humanity, well, then what can I really do? And Sean and Clay beautifully spoke about, like, not just a call to action, but, again, not looking at the situation based on what we don't have or based on what separates us, but looking at the situation based on what we do have, whether it's resources of capital or time or emotion and attention. I think what we're all saying is that we all can do something. We can all move a little bit differently uh, to change the pulse and the heartbeat of the people that are closest to us. So it's been a, as always, just a, a unbelievably reflective hour. And I am extremely grateful to be able to share this time and space with just good men, good human beings. I'm very grateful. Well, we really appreciate it too. Um, and on that, unfortunately, we are running short on time, and some of us uh, do have to run right away. So we are gonna sh we're gonna shut her down a little bit early. We're gonna get into some final thoughts right now, and and then we'll uh, carry on the conversation tomorrow. And I think that's gonna be a key point: is talking about what it's like to be support, because I think that is that's a good topic because everybody wants to be the main character. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta be the, uh, the guy handing out sandwiches. That's just the way it is. But I don't know, man, if you've been the main character enough, you don't want to be the main character. That's, that's part of the conversation. And we're going to get into that tomorrow. Don't you Fair worry. Enough. Um, so let's get some final thoughts, Chad. What are your, what are your final thoughts on everything today? Uh, you know, final thoughts, you know, always the, the topics and discussion are great with you guys, you know, resonate resonated with me with Sean saying, you know, that, that getting whole with your spirituality or just you as creating a different soul. And I, and I know since I created a different boundary with me, the, the group of people now that I'm hanging myself with are getting invited to come on and, you know, have chats like this or go on different podcasts. And it really comes back to holding yourself accountable and, and creating a different space for yourself. And when that happens, I think you start finding your tribes or your collective and, then you start standing with these groups that you feel like you can bring something to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Clay, what are you thinking? Final thoughts? Yeah. Um, it's, it's that standing together um, doesn't always have to be, you know, in the face of tragedy or in the face of something that happens. It's just oftentimes those are the reminders. It's that standing together can be as simple as just being of service to others. Johnny was saying it can also be finding ways to be of help, uh, as, as Sean was saying. And, and when we want to stand together, be of service to a community and to a tribe and not just the ones that you choose, like Sean pointed out, but different try to be there for different people at different times. And um, as Johnny pointed out, it could be as simple as look across the street and you may find somebody that could use a, a cup of coffee to, to sit with and, and to be with someone else to enjoy that cup of coffee. They may not have it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. John, some final thoughts? No, I think I, I closed right where I wanted to, my friend. Perfect. <laughs> Sean, final thoughts. How about uh, that, Clay? That's twice. There you go. <laughs> Dude, you're on a streak. Um, I'd say uh, based on what uh, Chad was saying and how he's referencing just um, being in groups and uh, meeting new people through groups and then those people within the groups uh, being encouraged to go out and find new podcasts to talk on or basically, as I think of it, is cross-pollinating uh, our garden, as it were. And uh, so the collective, I mean, we've had well over 200 guests now. And um, that means that we've had an opportunity to stand in, I mean, Chance and I stand in a number of different groups. But the best part about it is, as far as I'm concerned, is I just think of myself as a proxy uh, in this position, whereby whoever I bump into, uh, tomorrow the guests have also bumped into the people that I've bumped into because my network is their network now. 
and my thoughts are now their thoughts, their thoughts are now my thoughts. The wisdom of a collective that is maybe an overarching vessel for so many different groups that we've communicated with this year, and some really diverse groups, by the way. Not all hive mind thought. Not everyone is fully aligned. But through the conversations that we've had, my thoughts have been recalibrated. My group thought has been recalibrated. My, my hive mind on the collective is a creation of many hive mind groups, if you will. And so that's why I appreciate the collective. That's why I appreciate the, the uh, guests today on the panel, because uh, though we all have a lot of commonality and we can all nod our heads on a lot of things, I love novel thought. I love meeting people with novel ideas. I love people that challenge my perspective in life. And so we can all stand together. But while we're standing together, we've all got to keep each other honest, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. 100%. The, uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot to add. This has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, Clay, John, Chad, Sean, great conversation. Thank you so much for for doing it because I started off a little rocky, so I really appreciate everybody jumping on board and getting this, uh, getting this convo dived in. You know, the I think the key thing, at least what I'm getting from it, is you know you, have, you learn about yourself, you build the skills that you have available, you grow into the person you want to be, and once you do that, if you still don't know your tribe, stand up, and get to work, and once you do that, your tribe will present itself to you, and then keep working. So every day. Just keep doing that. And you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. GMO. Every day.